It is so good. You picked a great Sunday to be here. If this is your first Sunday at Central Church, we are so honored to have Dan and Denise Boone uh, with us for this morning and then through the evening services. Dr. Boone is the president of Trevecca Nazarene University, one of the other Nazarene universities, but we love Trevecca, and he was pastor of College Church for 15 years prior to going to Trevecca, where he's now served for 18 years. So would you welcome Dan Boone as he comes and brings the morning message. Thanks, Good morning. If you just had one word, you only get one word, to describe the condition that our world is in right now, what would that word be? What word would you think of? Okay, I want you to turn and tell your neighbor. I already hear some of you saying good, good words. Think about that for a moment. The condition that you think describes the world that we live in today. I look around. I see a government, Hurricane Ian, nuclear threat in Russia, opioid crisis, youth suicide, COVID, recession, mental illness, racism, sexual identity, mass shootings. I mean, we see all of this on a global scale. What's your word? Chaos is mine. I heard someone say it right down here just a moment ago. Chaos. And that chaos is not just a global chaos. It actually is this deep, dark, stormy sea that keeps splashing over into our lives in all kinds of ways. Ways like depression and anxiety. Ways like your pastor just prayed about for a moment. Just a moment ago, a person who sat here last week. And then tomorrow, we send her home to heaven from this very place. Chaos, the death of a friend, the death of a loved one, a diagnosis that comes to you, uh, uh, cancer, just all of the ways that chaos comes. Tight finances, a child that's not doing well. Chaos, chaos, chaos. It's everywhere we look. Well, Psalm 29 is a psalm about chaos. In an interesting way, it is a, uh, it's one of those odd psalms. Uh, scholars tell us it is the oldest of the 150 psalms that we have. And what's so fascinating about it, they say it didn't even begin as a psalm about our God, but it began as a psalm about Baal, the god of the Canaanites. Really? The Israelites took a psalm about Baal, and they erased the name Baal and they wrote in the name Yahweh, the covenant-making God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. What in the world is going on that this psalm that the Canaanites sang about Baal would suddenly become a psalm of the people of God, one of the oldest ones that they use? Well, we're going to take a look at this. We'll start and then we'll go. Now, I have to tell you, we're not in the psalm until the last couple of verses. This really isn't even about us. What's going on here is kind of a psalm that's like American Idol dancing with the stars and Survivor all rolled up into one, one deal. Because what's going on here is that a convener is inviting all of the gods of all of the tribes and all of the nations, all of the principalities and powers, all the divine beings of the universe that they're all being invited together for one big God-off. 
And these gods are going to compete with one another until one stands above all the others. Now, what's interesting about the difference between the Canaanites and the Israelites is this. For the Canaanites, it was fine that the world was full of gods. It was fine. Every tribe had their god. And the way that one tribe proved that their god was bigger and badder than the other tribe's god was they would go to war. And whichever one won the battle, theirs was the one whose god had given them the victory over the other god. So for the Canaanites, it's fine that the world is full of all kind of gods. And theirs happened to be Baal. But the Israelites understood God in a very different way. They understood that their God was the one God, the God above all gods, the Lord above all lords, the King above all kings. And they understood that their God intended through them to bless all the tribes, all the peoples, all the nations. And so here you have this interesting psalm in which there is this collection of all the divine beings. And it starts kind of like this. Verse 1 of Psalm 29. This is the convener speaking. And we learn quickly that this convener is prejudiced because he's already decided who he wants all the other gods to vote for. And he begins with this. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Ascribe to the Lord, O all of you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Ascribe to the word to the Lord glory. I love this word glory. It's one of my favorite Hebrew words. The word in the Hebrew kind of does what it sounds like. The word is kabod. You kind of say it that way, kabod, because the word means heavy, weighty, substantial. This word glory means that something is of such a size that you cannot look past it, you can't ignore it. It's just right there in front of you. It is massive and large and huge. And so, ascribe to the Lord, all of you heavenly beings and gods of tribes and principalities and powers, Ascribe to Yahweh, the God of Israel, ascribe to him glory. It reminds me of my youth days when if we saw something that was impressive, substantial in some way, we had a little phrase we would say. Some of you will remember it. Heavy dude. Heavy dude. That's a great translation of glory. Something that is so weighty that it impresses you in that way. Now, immediately, I'm sure, in the context of this, you know, American Idol, Dancing with the Stars, Survivor, this deal of all the gods, the convener says, I want you to ascribe to Yahweh, the God of Israel. I want you to ascribe to Him glory and worthy. The gods are saying, why? Why should we do that? And the convener says, I'm so glad you asked, because he gives them the reason here in verses 3 through 9. And here's what he says. The voice of Yahweh, the Lord, is over the waters. 
The God of glory thunders, the Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The, Lord sha- the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And all in his temple say, heavy dude, glory. Now, what is going on here? Actually, this is a weather report. This is the description of a storm that makes a geological footprint. This is a storm that brews out over the Mediterranean, over the dark waters, and it just rises out of the sea, and then it comes to land across Lebanon, and then it moves into the southern desert and wilderness that is there. And as it does this, it rumbles the ground and flashes the sky, and it strips the trees bare of their leaves. It bends the crops. It sends humans scurrying for cover. This, this is a storm, and it's a storm that actually moves from here to here to here to here. And if you follow the names of places like Lebanon and Syrian, and if you follow these, you just kind of see that it's the storm that starts in the Mediterranean and comes all the way to where the people are at that time and landed right in the land of Canaan, where the Canaanites lived. The storm was Baal's trademark move. This is the kind of language that is used in literature to talk about Baal, that he is the God who would say by storm, appease me or you will pay the price. You see, Baal was kind of the gross national product God. He was the God that if you would appease him and do what he wanted you to do, then he would send rain on your crops at the right time, and he would protect your crops from scorching drought and disease. He's the one who would open the womb of the mother of the family and give many children to be able to be farmhands to bring in a great crop of wealth. He's the one who would protect you from your enemies. He's the one who would curse those who come after you. Baal was the one who was this protective deal, but the storm was his move. I mean, trademark move. And here, the Israelites read all of this And they think, not Baal, Yahweh, the covenant-making God of Israel, the Lord. Why? What about this reminded them of their God? I'm glad you asked. Remember how our story starts? Our story in Genesis 1-1? And in the beginning, the earth was void, and darkness hovered over the deep. Our story begins with this chaotic sea and a primordial mess. It is chaos. I mean, it is utter chaos. Nothing can live in this. It is just this void of of rumbling, thundering, watery, grave, death, dark, just all of this. And then our God begins to speak into the chaos. His voice. Uh, Remember seven times in what we just read in verses 3 through 9, the voice of the Lord did this. The voice of the Lord did this. Ours is a God who speaks into chaos and order comes out. 
Because God began to speak there in Genesis 1 and 2, and all of a sudden the sea is separated from the land, and the day is separated from the night, and there are living things that begin to take place, and vegetation comes, and there is morning and there is evening, and you begin to see order as the voice of the Lord speaks into that chaos. And God creates a structure in which we can live, in which humans can survive. We can never live in the darkness hovered over the deep. We could not survive there. But it is the voice of the Lord that speaks into that. And all of a sudden, we have a created order that will sustain the life of human beings. Heavy, dude. That is something. But if you continue in our story, we only get about five chapters deep. And it says that we created humans, filled the earth with violence. The Hebrew word is a word you hear in the news quite often, Hamas, violence. And I think maybe one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. And the Lord God regretted that he had made humans on the face of the earth. And then begins the Noah story. And God begins to move. And God moves in the form of a flood. And then those crushing verses. And the breath of every living thing was extinguished. You see, if you read the story of creation, it moves from chaos to order. But now you read the story of the flood and it moves from order back to chaos again. We're headed back toward the dark sea, darkness hovering over the deep. And here is a story in which it looks like our God is a lot like Baal. That our God is ticked off because of the way that we filled his earth with violence. And now there is this movement to deal with this. And here's our God about to extinguish the life of every living thing, and he is down to one floating zoo from being done with everything. And there's Noah and his family and the animals with him on the ark. The flood is God's delete button. It's God's eraser. It's God's way of dealing with this. Will God be like Baal? Is this his trademark move? You sin, you die. And right in the middle, right in the middle of that story, there is that moment where it says, and God remembered Noah and those who were with him on the ark. And the trajectory of the story begins to change in that moment. You know, I know parents, uh, I know parents who have decorated their nurseries with, rainbows and animal pairs and arcs and all this stuff and I want to say to them what are you doing what are you thinking this is the most terrifying story in all of scripture and you take this little child that's come into your life and you surround them with reminders of the moment that God decided to blot out every living thing and take the breath all away but God remembered Noah and those who were with him on the ark the, the waters began to recede the ark lands on dry ground, and you remember the first thing they do when they come off the ark? They offer a sacrifice. The sacrifice becomes a symbol of how God will interact with the chaos of the world that we live in. 
not through swift divine retribution bringing the flood, not through returning everything to chaos again, but through suffering love, through one that will lay down life for the sake of those who need redemption from the chaos that is there. And God puts the rainbow in the sky, not to remind us. The story says God put the rainbow in the sky to remind himself, never again will I act like Baal. It says God repented. That's an interesting comment in the middle of this story. This story is not about the evil of humans. It is about the character of God. A God who try as he might at the pinnacle of our evil, who cannot move to blot out all of, all of creation, who cannot bring his ordered creation back to disorder again, who cannot live in the context of being a God who uses chaos in this way. Our God's character is shown in this very story. And the beautiful picture of that is in that moment on the cross of Jesus. As Jesus becomes the sacrifice the eternal sacrifice, God laying forth his own flesh and blood in this moment on the cross. And it is our chaotic sin, it is our evil that puts him there. And there he hangs with humans having done the very worst that we can do. And here is this God. It says the skies darkened at midday. Uh-oh. Is this God pulling another flood? Is this the day of Noah again? When God has looked at our violence that we have done to his own son? But on that day that Jesus hung on the cross, not a drop of rain falls out of that darkness. But the blood of God drips to the earth in the very ground that we live on. And God says to us, I am with you in this chaos, even at your worst, and even at the worst of this world, I am with you in the form of suffering love. Wow. We have no categories for this God. I remember, uh, I remember taking my granddaughter, Anne Ryan, to Chuck E. Cheese. Do you guys have Chuck E. Cheese here in Flint? They're still around, you know. It's nirvana for kids. I mean, every bell, button, whistle, ball you can throw, you know, all this stuff you can do. I remember taking her. She was three or four years old, having the time of her life. And, and it was just a great, great deal until Chuck E. Cheese walked out. I felt a death grip on my leg. And I looked down, and here's Anna Ryan just holding on for dear life and looking over there at Chuck E. Cheese. And I said to her, it, it's okay, hon, it's okay. It's just a man in a costume. Look, look, the other kids are playing with him. See, he's dancing. And she wasn't having none of it. Because a four-year-old has no category for a seven-foot rat who walks among humans. <laughs> there was nothing in her life that had taught her, what do you do with that? She had never seen it. And the truth is, as we stand before the holy God, we have no category for this God. Everything we would try to compare this God to pales in comparison to this God. This God is heavy. 
This God is weighty. This God is substantial. This God has not only the power to bring order out of chaos, but has the power to take order into chaos again. This God has power over all of this, and yet this God chooses to interact with us in loving and kind ways. Let's run over to the New Testament because there's a story that's, I mean, it's written right out of this. It's in Mark chapter 4, and you'll begin to connect these dots. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd behind, the disciples took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was. There were other boats with them. And a great gale arose, a storm, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. And Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. You know how I see this story? I see Jesus standing there looking right out into the chaos of that storm. And he looks at it and he says, You down calm the wind ceased there was a dead calm and he said to them why are you afraid have you still no faith and they were filled with great awe and said to one another heavy dude who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. Wow. Here he is. Our Lord, standing in the middle of the chaos, with its waves splashing into the lives of his disciples, threatening their very existence. And Jesus stands there and says, You down. And there is calm. I don't think this story ends here in chapter 4. I think it flows right on into chapter 5 because in chapter 5 we meet one of the most interesting characters in all of Scripture, the Gadarean demoniac. This guy is naked. He lives in a cemetery. He cuts himself all the time. They put iron shackles around him and he has broke them. He screams all night long, terrifying the little children in the villages nearby, and no one can control him. And Jesus gets out of the boat and he meets this man. Did you hear what Mark is telling us? The chaos of the storm has now taken up residence in this man. The chaos that we saw that was splashing over into and threatening the lives of the disciples out in the middle of the lake, it resides in this man. And this man says an interesting thing when he sees Jesus. He says, who are you? Son of the Most High God. How does he know that? Hey, the votes are in. Let's get back to Psalm 29. Because the the announcement is being made here in Psalm 29, verse 10. And here is the settled verdict. The Lord, Yahweh, God of Israel, sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. God is the God above all gods, the Lord above all lords, the power above all powers, the one who holds order and chaos in his hands and is free to do whatever he wants. 
And what does this God do with this election by all the divine beings as the supreme God of all? That's in verse 11 where we finally get in the story. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. What does God do with this, all, this, all this power he have? He makes us strong. In the storm, he makes us strong. In the chaos, he gives us peace. He enables us to live as his creatures in the middle of this chaotic world with strength and with peace. My heart says, heavy dude, what a God. What a God. You've walked in here. It's splashing into your life. It's splashed into my life this past week. This chaotic world that we live in. There's no divine umbrella that we have been given to shield us from all the chaos that can come our way. We get the same news everybody else gets. We get diagnoses just like everybody else does. We feel the pressure of inflationary pricing like everybody. I mean, it just comes. It comes and we can't stop it. But we have a God who sits enthroned above all that. And in the context of this, he gives us strength and peace.